I'm Andrew Haynes, and this is the Fair Game Podcast, the place where we talk about all things golf. This episode is about clubs, not golf clubs. I'm sure those will come up in conversation. I'm talking about the other kind of club, the thing that people join to find a sense of community and belonging. A lot of clubs in golf are pretty hard to get into, and the list of requirements is, well, pretty daunting. The barriers include cost, skill level, family background, occupation. Then there are the unspoken barriers like race and gender that no one likes to mention, but still exist. As golf grows, there are people looking to change what it means to be a part of the club. We're really inspired by what a few of these people are doing and wanting to share their stories. One of them, Kristen Finlay, the founder of Beachside Golf Club, a new and officially sanctioned golf club in San Diego, is breaking the traditional club model by being actually co-ed. And we're not just talking about two ladies that play with their husbands. Beach Hyde is one of the strongest male-to-female ratios out there. Our other guest is Brendan Thomas, the founder of Golfer's Journal, one of the best golf magazines out there. In addition to telling great stories in the timeless form of print, Brendan and his team have launched a series of events across the country where their members can play, compete, and connect with each other. It's a really interesting approach that is breaking the traditional model that a club can only be one place and only have one specific group of members. Let's get started. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being on the podcast. Um, the first thing we like to do just to get things started is to just unpack a little bit in terms of who you guys are, how you got into golf. Um, I think in terms of a theme for this episode, I think you guys are doing some really awesome things in the notion of you know what it means to be a golf club in today's world, which we'd love to get into. So uh, maybe, Kristen, you go first. How'd you, uh, how'd you get into golf? So my dad was always really into golf. So he got a golf club into my hands at a very early age, um, which I think helped with me having a good swing now, even though I don't always hit the ball straight, but um, had those fundamentals down early. Um, I played competitively in high school and then took a break for a long time and was back in business school. And I was the only female in the business school golf club um, and living in Los Angeles. You know, I had a community of people that I played with. Uh, but it was always men. And I started to get to know their girlfriends and they were like, I want to learn how to play golf. Um, but their boyfriends would never take them to the driving range. And so I threw up my hands and said, well, let's start doing this. And it was, you know, early on in COVID. Um, and so this, we called it Westy Wednesdays at Westchester driving range, right by the airport in LA. Um, and we just started going every Wednesday and it grew into be this co-ed thing. Like the guys started getting into it because they wanted to see the progress of their girlfriends. And that was kind of the idea of how Beachside came about was that, you know, let's make this a comfortable place where people have been doing this for a really long time, can do their thin, thing and succeed, uh, but also is inviting for people of, you know, I guess the minority in golf, which would be the female space, um, to get involved as well. And so kind of creating that ground and, you know, being a female who was always in the all-male groups, like a lot of the clubs out there are very male dominated with a few really good female players, or they're very focused on the beginner side of the spectrum or more female oriented. And so I was really hoping to create a space for people, um, you know, that kind of blended those two things together and made everyone feel comfortable. Um, and something else about, you know, beach side and what I care a lot about is giving back to the community. Um, I grew up, you know, getting a golf club into my hands. Um, it's something I did teach for America straight out of undergrad. And so you know, realizing the impact that you can have on communities, um, you know, that might not have even an awareness of the sport um, is something that is really meaningful to me. And so another component, you know, that we want to focus on is giving back to the community, raising money, doing equipment drives and whatnot. 
Um, and so, you know, kind of focusing on those two avenues uh, through a group of people that want to have a good time, but also care a little bit about the world. That's great. Also, by the way, I want to take one second to shout out Westchester Golf Course. I haven't played a lot of golf in, you know, SoCal. When I go to LA, like, because I'm not a member anywhere, it's hard to find places to play and whatnot. And I always end up there before a flight. Like, it's it's really good. So that that place is awesome. It's good to hear that you, you guys started out there. Uh, Brendan, uh, would love to hear. I don't, I've known Brendan for a little bit, but I I don't know your story in terms of how you got into golf and even just the origin of from Surfer's Journal to, to Golfer's Journal. I'd love to just, you know, unpack that because I literally don't know. All right. Well, I'll do my best to explain it. Uh, I played golf when I was younger, but it was definitely uh, way in the backseat compared to surfing. Um, but when I was the editor of Surfer magazine, um, I'd go on a lot of trips with pro surfers and the thing about surfing is the waves aren't good all the time. They're only good when the conditions are good. So you'll have two days out of 10 that are exceptional and the rest is downtime. So, um, all the pro golf, the pro surfers and, uh, they're, you know, big into golf and it's a great companion sport to, uh, pro surfing. So it's a pretty rough life. Those guys live, but, um, all very competitive and, uh, I had a you know pretty good uh, foundation for my golf game because I played young with my grandfather and my dad, but um, it was very sporadic. So I could kind of mix it up with the guys who were playing a lot of golf, but I got pretty obsessed and we'd play these competitive matches in places like Tahiti and Australia and Fiji and whatever. And I got to see some really cool, um, cool golf courses, primarily on the ocean um, and got obsessed with it. And eventually bought a house on a golf course here in Southern California, um, right by famous surf spot trestles. And we got the house because it was so close to the surf spot, but, um, the San Clemente city championship is kind of a, uh, somewhat famous city championship in the country. And I became obsessed with making the cut there. So I dove all the way in and, uh, became a range rat and worked really hard on my game. Still haven't made the cut yet i uh, always miss it by one but that's more up here than with my uh with my swing so um became very obsessed with golf started playing more golf than surfing um and uh you know even back in the day when i was at surfer magazine really believed that there was a a huge uh, chasm between golf media and what regular golfers uh what their experience of golf is and so I was very keen to, to take what I knew, which is um, telling stories and tell different golf stories. So that was the genesis of the Golfers Journal. So in the framework of your community, um, that wasn't really on the roadmap originally, but it, uh, it was very much a media enterprise first. Awesome. Question about surfers and golf, because I mean, I've heard that surfers do play. Do they all actually play golf? Is that true? Not all of them, but um, a big number of them. And they're all um, very athletic. And uh, the, the motions that um, make for good surfing are very similar to a good golf swing. It's like sequencing, you know, your hips and shoulders and all the rest of it. So it's familiar, but it's infuriating to surfers because they can navigate a fluid, dynamic landscape um, with a plum. And then they get over a stationary golf ball and they can't make it go where they want it to go. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where 
right. especially uh, athletes who perform at a high level. I'm sure this is true of all the pro athletes that get obsessed with the game. Um, not being able to control that little white ball is, uh, is you know, the biggest carrot and also the, you know, it just drives you crazy. So it gets, gets its claws into you. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I've never been on a surfboard, by the way, and I have no interest to do so. It just, it's all of, I think it's because like I'm a decent swimmer, not a really good swimmer. And that's probably like the biggest, that's the first hurdle to get over. And I think probably if I got comfortable with that, I'd maybe give it a go. So me, I don't know, maybe next year. That's what's so great about golf too, because you have um, the barrier to entry. I mean, I wouldn't want to start learning the game now. It would be, I look at people just trying to get the ball off the ground and I'm like, the, the, those poor souls, you know, how they... How are they going to have the patience to get to a point where they can actually play the game? I don't know. The same is uh, the same is true of surf, except that you might spend years just trying to learn to navigate your way into the lineup and catch a wave without even getting any of the the thrill of the upside. Um, whereas golf, you just need one one ball to come off purely, and you're you're hooked. For sure, Kristen. Do you by chance do you play any other sports or do you surf? Um, I was going to actually add my first internship in college was at surfing magazine. Um, I grew up, I was a beach (laughs) lifeguard in Del Mar for a while and I played water polo um, in college. So very much an aquatic person. And when you were talking about, it's been a little bit of time since I've surfed, but um, something about the two sports too, the the earth contributes so much to the activity and that, you know, the, the wave is always going to be different. And in golf, I mean, very rarely are you ever going to hit the ball in the same place twice. And so it's, you know, you kind of having this interesting relationship with the terrain that you're on um, through both sports, I think is an interesting parallel as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, water polo. That's another next level sport there. The, the treading is insane. Um, and Brendan, just to, just to build on what you were saying about Golfer's Journal and like, can you talk a little bit about, because recently, I'm not sure how many years you guys have been doing the actual events, but just taking taking the idea of of the club to that next level um like how did that start how how did that get going and and how has it been so far we're very lucky in that a lot of what's happened to the golfers journal and now what we call the broken tea society which is the, the membership itself um has happened organically we haven't had some master plan that's rolled out in waves that you know we're first going to do a print publication and then we're going to do the next kind of phase of things we um <clears throat> we we put on a, our first birthday party at Goat Hill uh, when we made it through one year of publishing, and we said we'll just go and have a, a day of golf and put on an event. Um, and we, the community that came that came to participate was just so interesting and excited about doing it, and it was so well received. We thought we'd do a few more, and. Um, we initially started with just one event a year, the Broken T2 Man. And it was essentially going to be an annual birthday party that we did. But uh, the wait list to try and get into these events got so huge that we realized we needed to do more events. And then golf courses started reaching out to us to try and get our membership to experience their course or, you know, whatever um, whatever benefit they may see from the Golfers Journal Association uh, with their course. And so we started getting requests from, from both our membership and the golf courses to, to have more events. And I think we announced another event today. I mean, we're, we're way north of 20 events this year. 
um, with more planned for next year. And that's just our, um, you know, sanctioned golfers journal events. Uh, the Broken Tea Society is now putting on their own events amongst themselves. We have smaller pop-up events that happen. Um, and I, I couldn't even guesstimate how many Broken Tea Society events are going to happen this year. There's going to be a lot of them. Got it. No, that's really exciting. Kristen, just to build on that, because obviously from your perspective, like you guys are a club as well. Um, I have, like for me, one, me, I've never played in a professional or competitive event, one. Um, and then two, I've never, like I'm a public muni golfer just living in New York. I mean, the the membership dues out here are interested. And then also like for me as a golfer, we'll talk about it in a second, but the idea of do you want to be a member at one place or do you want to just kind of like bounce around and get a taste of different things? Um, for you guys in Beachside, um, like the one question I wanted to ask in terms of kind of like, first, how complicated is the process to get a club officially sanctioned by the state? Like what goes into that? It wasn't as difficult as I thought, actually. Um, but a couple of the guys from the Southern California Golf Association actually found me. So I don't know if that made the process any easier. Um, but really, you just have to you know, sign up and then show that you have an active membership of a certain headcount. Um, and then you know, some groups are uh, associated with a course or a place, and then others not so much. So you know, in the directory, there's some that are very much like a group of people who just want to have their own name that is next to their handicap, you know, if you look up the golfers. Um, and then other people, it's associated with a course. And so I think it kind of runs the gamut. And it seems like the people at the SDGA are very much interested in growing the community and growing the game and helping people do that who want to, you know, make a difference in the industry of golf in whatever capacity. Um, and so they were very helpful in helping to bring that to fruition um, for us, at least. Yeah, that's awesome. Have either of you guys experienced... Um... Because obviously with, you know, booking an event, like on my end, when I'm trying to set up a photo shoot or something, it's calling lots of courses, going through insurance and fees and all that fun stuff. And some courses are into that type of thing. And some courses are like, hey, we don't care. We don't need PR or exposure. Um, when you are setting up a club uh, for either of you guys where you're not locked into one location, do you find um just the challenges of getting courses to be open to doing what you guys want to do like have you found the reception to be like positive negative or or, or a little mix of both maybe i'll go first because i think i'm on a smaller scale and then brendan it sounds like you have way more experience with working with many places but for us you know in the two events that we've got planned um it was very much the courses that were responsive and willing and able and seemed to be interested in doing those kinds of things um, Goat Hill is a prime example. You know, those people get back to you. They want to have these types of community events. And so that keeps the relationship strong and positive. Um, and so you can kind of find yourself going back to the same places in that regard. Even if you do have interest in playing at other courses, it's oftentimes who emails you back in the time frame that you need to set up your event and make it successful. And that's on the smaller scale. So I know, Brendan, I'd love to hear your experience you know having thrown 20 events per year what that's like for you yeah it's <clears throat> excuse me yeah it's been uh it's been a weird time because obviously the covid golf boom has meant that t-sheets are full and mm -hmm. golf courses are enjoying a really pivotal patch in their history um we we've kind of iterated up 
in our signature events. You know, we started at Goat Hill. The next year was at Trinity Forest, which is a you know quite a stark contrast to uh, between the two. Um, to Ballyhack, to Hazeltine, and then now this year Baltimore Country Club. I mean, these these golf courses are very exclusive and private, and um, we have the benefit of obviously a lot of brand cachet that we bring to you know having our event there. So. I think our challenges are a little different. You know, we have uh, a lot of a lot of clubs interested. It's been more difficult to get access to um, public courses because their tee sheets are full and they don't really need the exposure. I mean, I think that's pretty short-term thinking, but uh, generally speaking. But you know, it's really what we can bring value-wise. We want to make both parties uh, happy. Uh, we want our membership to not have to pay a fortune to be there. We want the clubs to get you know, generate revenue and um, media from the event. So our, our goal is to really make everyone happy. And it's, it is a beautiful symbiotic relationship when it does work because, um, you know, everyone leaves the event happy, the club, the member and us. So um, it's really just finding clubs that are amenable to, to this type of thing and uh, who have marketing teams and, and management who are, uh, a little bit more forward thinking, but um, it's just kind of a case by case basis. They're not all, everyone's different. Every board's different. Um, every GM has his or her, her own opinion on how to do these things. So, um, you know, we've just got a lot of goodwill. So we're very lucky in that respect. Um, people, clubs are reaching out to us to, to host them. That's awesome. Have you guys, okay, this is kind of like a cultural question. Have you guys seen, at least from my vantage point, I see a shift and maybe I'm biased because I'm not a member at a private club. So I'm just thinking this way, but the idea of, I think there are more golfers today that are obviously the game is growing that are getting into the game that may not be interested in the idea of the traditional club joining this club path where I live here. I'm going to find a course that's 20 minutes from my house. I'm going to pay X amount in dues and join up and, and do the thing and play here for the rest of my life. I see more, in addition to you guys, and I think their models are different, but there's, you know, like the Flyers Club and and even like Melbourne has started to get into events. I think there's this big cultural shift where people are looking for a different type of membership experience just as as people. I think the, the old model of golf, I don't want to say it's dying, but it's definitely becoming something else. How, how do you guys see that? And like, what do you think that, you know, golfers, today's golfer is actually looking for when it comes to being a member of a, of a club? I'm thinking, I guess, generally about, in a way, the stereotypes that, you know, the traditional country club carry, um, whether that's with dress or who belongs um, or the way that you need to act or be. And, you know, culturally, I guess I'm seeing a big shift to, to people who, you know, want to dress in a way that makes them feel confident. And that doesn't mean that you are adhering to a style of dress code that made sense for who was playing golf 50 years ago, you know, that it's a very different world playing golf now. And so I think the state of the world of golf, the direction that golf is going doesn't really align to, you know, that traditional country club sense. And so when you think about these memberships, it's like, you know, I would love to have a country club that, you know, allows people to dress however they want, where they're feeling comfortable and that, you know, there's some tradition of golf, but there's also, you know, rules that, you know, our new members are bringing in and facilitating. Um, obviously, I don't have the money to set up a country club like that. But I think in a way, you know, what all of these little clubs are kind of 
trying to do is, you know, bring golf into the modern landscape. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, my dream would be to open a country club, but make it, you know, full of people that are like-minded and want to change what golf looks like from what it was, who belongs to the, the, your traditional stereotypical country club. For sure. Brendan, what do you think? Well, we obviously can't deny that golf takes place in a physical space. So that land isn't cheap and it's expensive to maintain. And uh, it, it's, you know, it, it requires a revenue model that is self-sustaining. So there's this kind of tension between um, what we'd like golf clubs to be and what they kind of need to be in order to exist. Uh, that said, so much of our lives is moving into the metaverse and, you know, technology has allowed us to connect in different ways, um, which is why we started the Broken Tea Society Discord server and um, kind of this decentralized clubhouse in the clouds, we like to call it, um, where you can feel like a membership and get to know people and um, branch off into different areas of topics of conversation that aren't necessarily about golf all the time. Um, the way we structured it was very much like, you know, when you're at the country club, you don't talk about golf the whole time. You may do some business networking, you may collaborate on something, you might plan, you know, something entirely different, a road trip that, uh, or a vacation somewhere that you, um, is away from golf. So the idea that you can now do that without being in a physical space together is, uh, is radically changing what I think clubs will be. Um, and that's kind of what we've been, we've been building at the Broken Tea Society. Um, and so now finding a way to cross between the physical space and the, you know, the digital space is, uh, is will always be a challenge. And you've got the added layer of like, uh, simulators and, um, urban clubhouses and that, that type of golf kind of taking, but taking hold a little bit. I think the, the traditional idea of membership will change, but I don't think it's going to go away and I don't think it can go away. I mean, I was at a, I was at a private club in LA yesterday and, um, there's no denying that no matter what club you're a part of, uh, you'd like to be a member at that club if you had the means or the, the connections to get in there. Right. So that you could play that course. Um, so I don't think there's a, I, I can make a blanket statement on where I see it going. I think it's going to just keep evolving and, um, you know, I'm not a member at any, any club anywhere. Um, and I'm getting to play some pretty special golf courses through, throughout the course of the year without a membership. Um, obviously I'm, you know, very lucky in the fact that I, I run a, a golf company, but, uh, as a member of our, our society, members of our society are, are getting to play interesting golf courses too through not just through us uh the membership people in the membership have traditional country club memberships and they host each other at you know they do reciprocal hosting and it's really it's all about who you know in in the private club world so um you know i think it's ways to connect with one another weren't as obvious before and now they are so um, I think you'll see, you'll continue to see a lot of private memberships, but with interesting ways to kind of gain access to them. For sure. It's interesting while you were talking, Kristen, about just with some clubs that are strict, like for example, I have a buddy, I won't name the course because it doesn't really matter, but I have a friend that is a member at a course in New Jersey 
and I'll, I will play with him at times, but then they have a policy where, um, I had recently purchased a push cart that I use from time to time. It's a Haley course. So sometimes I'll pull it out, but they have a rule where you can't use a push cart because the owner doesn't like what they look like. That's what I was told, but it's like those, those little rules like that are just deterrents to make you not want to join the club because it's like, Oh, if today they're going to complain about my push cart tomorrow, it's about, I wore a pink pole or whatever the fact, but it's um, interesting. And then I also was thinking of, as you were talking about the, have you guys ever played any of the discovery property courses? Um, I've heard through some people that if you're a member there, um, this is kind of like just conversation. So this is, please fact check me if I'm wrong. But I've heard that like when you join these courses, their overall vibe is much more casual, laid back. You don't necessarily have to pull up in a collar shirt. You kind of just like do your thing. But then also those, some of those courses, I mean, the price tag to get into these things are at the highest level. So it's interesting when you're seeing this evolution in golf where, the people that are able to join that have the resources to join a place like one of these discovery properties, which is awesome. Um, they're getting to do those things that a lot of the younger, newer people in golf want, where it's like, I just want to wear a t-shirt or wear flip flops or do whatever and play a nice course. And it's interesting to see, to see courses at the highest point that are starting to tap into this. It shows you that something is changing. So I just, just find it interesting. I've seen, I've seen a lot of that as well. There's a, a certain kind of like tier of membership that you reach when the membership does what they want. Mm -hmm. But I think you could probably delineate between like prestige memberships where the course is the star and you go there and, you know, everyone wants to be a member at Augusta national and they will, all the members will abide by the rules because they, that's the way the club set up. Whereas there's others that are like leisure clubs where, you know, a bunch of rich folk get together and say, how do we want to live? You know, we want to play barefoot and uh, have music blaring from our golf carts. We get to decide that. So there's almost like a distinction between like these prestige memberships. And then there's, you know, the, um, the membership themselves is, is actually the product rather than the golf course. Yeah. That is actually interesting. Uh, Chris, and I was going to ask a question because my, my wife plays golf. She'll play, you know, a handful of times a year. And the idea of when you and I were chatting a while ago about that, about the notion of actually creating a co-ed golf club, first of all, I don't know how you were able to, to do it because like for, you know, I have a handful of female golf friends and they all say the same thing. The idea of it's very challenging to find other female golfers to play with. It's most of the time it's, Hey, my husband or boyfriend plays and I have to tag along with the group. Like, did it just happen organically for you guys? Or was it something where you intentionally sought out to kind of like, how do I create a, an actual, a, a more co-ed, actually balanced club? I would say it's a little bit of both. Um, I think it probably helps that I am a female who started it and have been, you know, the face of the club thus far. So I think that in itself makes it a lot more inviting for females who might be interested. Um, I think it's something also with the way that, you know, we've, you know, when I'm out playing with kind of our origin story too, in a way, right. That, you know, if I'm out playing with some guys or I meet some people on the course and they say, I just want my girlfriend to be out here. Like it'd be so much more fun. And I'm the first person to put my hand up and say, 
I'll take them to the range. I'll make them feel like they can be successful. And then we can all come out here together because I'm sure, as you know, being in a relationship, you don't want to hear the advice from your partner. That can often be the biggest problem out there. So having, you know, a neutral ground. um, So I guess uh, kind of being, you know, the integrator of let me have this experience with you and make you feel comfortable so that, you know, we can all then come out here and be successful together um, is, you know, kind of the MO, I guess. Um, but yeah, providing a space where, yeah, I can go out and I will gamble with you and I'll take your money on a Saturday. And then on Sunday, I will go play the executive course with your girlfriend. And then the following week, we'll all go do it together. Um, it's kind of the mindset that we've had in how to grow and make this a a successful co-ed situation. Yeah. That's super fun. Do either of you guys see the, the vibe of these events? Are people just casually playing or i know with like with brandon with the two man that is an actual like competition but when you have the events where where multiple people come is the vibe more casual or do you see the players actually wanting to compete or do you have a little a mix of both we try and tailor the events to the location sometimes so we do have very competitive events um where you know individual stroke play or team events all of our events do have a competitive aspect to them in that they there's kind of a game going on in the background, even if it is just a skins game or something. But we uh, we have some events where shoes are optional and it's uh, it's not really a um, it's not competitive at all, even though people <laughs> competitive while they're out there. It is golf after all. Sure. So it's a bit of a mix of both. But generally speaking, we're not trying to cultivate a competitive um you know, space, there's plenty of tours and things that you can get on if you really want to go and, you know, duke it out with, uh, with other players. We are more focused on bringing people together because the magic for us happens, you know, in the group, in the pairings, uh, you meet some interesting people Mm -hmm. at the dinners and the receptions. That's where, that's where all the magic is happening. That's where friends, friendships are being forged and new connections are being made. And so it's really not, uh, we get to share something incredible, like get to play Hazeltine, for instance, and everyone there is giddy with excitement because they've got to do this cool thing. And then when it's over, even if the course kicked our ass, we're all you know so happy and and ready to be uh, ready to make new friends, kind of thing. Um, there's a different vibe to the whole thing. For sure, that's super fun. Have either of you guys seen? Um, so I think one of the things about these this idea of digital clubs where it's not a physical space it's this you know i think brendan has said like clubhouse in the clouds or something like that but the idea of people being able to connect have you seen when people do do connect is it always like oh you live in the same town as me or is it a more of a uh i'm from north carolina and someone else is from california and we're cool and we end up you know kind of like hanging out is it more of like a local connection or is it completely random because i know for me like just to speak briefly on my experience all of the connections that i've made like you know my deepest golf connections have luckily been from i'm playing diker beach and i meet i get paired up with a guy who happens to be you know jamie falkowski and then he is like like one of my golf bros but that was just luck um i haven't had those experiences in, in the digital sense but i'd be curious to hear what the members of each of your clubs have when they connect, how do they experience and how are they able to kind of like stay engaged with each other? So I would, I think Brendan, it sounds like you've done more with your discord and getting people to have stronger relationships but with 
my day job, actually, um, they do some online competitive, like posting your score uh, ranking system. And I would say there needs to be a better job of doing the community side of it, because when you're not having those interactions, it turns to be strictly competitive uh, mm-hmm. because you're lacking that interaction and that opportunity to actually get to know the people that you are playing in this pool with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, Brendan, you could probably speak on that, but I think that that community side and getting to know people and having that opportunity is crucial in making those platforms a, a success. Yeah, for sure. Um, we've, we designed the onboarding process and the platform specifically for that purpose. Uh, we make everyone who is a member go through a second application process to let us know, you know, who they are, what their interests are, where they play golf, that sort of thing. And then we encourage them all to introduce themselves in a formal way using their real name and where they play golf and what their day job is and that sort of thing. That's cool. Everyone's kind of like, there's a, there's a layer of trust there that is, um, you know, not just happening on Twitter or Instagram, say, because, you know, there's a, there's a sort of barrier to entry still. Um, and then we create regional cha- channels. So there's groups that congregate around, you know, uh, New York City, say, and that there's a, there's a bunch of people who have found golf buddies in, the, in a very short time who they play every weekend with now. Um, but then there's, if I'm traveling to New York next week, I'll pop into that channel and let everyone know that I'll be in town. And if everyone's, anyone's looking for a game or looking to host me, let me know. And immediately someone will say, well, yeah, I can host you here. Um, let's do something on Friday. And so we have all of our members doing that all the time. And, and you know, we're trying to normalize that whole idea of um, URL to IRL. So it's, you know, we're coming out of off the computer and actually meeting each other in real spaces. And it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be around golf specifically. Um, we've had a number of members just saying, I'm not bringing my clubs, but I'm going to be there. If anyone wants to meet up for a beer or a coffee, like let's do it. And I mean, that's so fun to watch. It's also great. Uh, you know, it's great to experience. I mean, if I'm going to a city and I drop a note in there, um, I'll have, I'll have people who are, I already know who are like-minded and um, we have a shared connection and love for the game we'll get to go and hang out and have a dinner or go do something interesting. That's cool. Kristen, what do your club members use just to kind of stay connected? Is it more, is it social? Is it text? Like how, how do you guys make sure that, you know, people are talking and linked up? Yeah, I would say it's mostly social, the, the basics. <laughs> um, we probably should get a little more technically savvy, um, but Instagram group email text conversations is pretty much the, the, the usual go-tos at this point for us. For sure. It still works. I need to take a page out of Brendan's book, I think, and strike up some other channels over here. Well, I think we should uh, we should do a uh, co co uh, collaborate on an event, um, do a co ed event nearby. I mean, I'm sure our members would love to know about your club, and your club would love to know about ours. So um, we should do something fun. I would love that. Yeah, for sure. And after this podcast, I'm going to fill up my application because I'm I'm a subscriber to the Golfers Journal, as you know, Brendan. And I didn't I just never fill this thing out. I don't know why. Kind of by design. We don't want everyone uh like you, Andrew, just coming in, you know. We're <laughs> <laughs> gonna make sure that everyone's vetted properly. <laughs> right. I have to write three to five sentences. People think, oh, I have to download a new app or I have to like get on another social platform. And we know that it's it sucks. we really thought long and hard about how to 
um, to kind of connect people in an easy way, but it's, it's just, you know, you have to kind of take some steps and then again, the internet it being what it is, we want to make sure that everyone's, you know, vetted and they're, um, we know who they are before they, they start trolling around. We have like people betting on, uh, you know, gambling pools. And, uh, we have, uh, we have a really fun thing like the three Jack club. Um, so if you three putt ever, you have to give a dollar to the pot and that goes to charity at the end of the year. Um, but we have, it's a really active channel and everyone's just lamenting their putting woes in there. Um, <laughs> that sort of thing's really fun, but there's a lot of good behind the effort, right? Like you have to kind of go through it. So, I mean, only a small percentage of our membership is actually signed on to, um, the discord server to your point. Um, and we'll go to events and, you know, half the field would not have done, you know, it's just like, I don't want to download another app and we get it. And that's the beauty of it. You can choose, you can choose to partake in as much or as little as you want, you know, for sure. So value your membership, Andrew. We really wish you would come on in. Dude, I, now I, now I have to do it. I can't sit here and talk about it and not do it. I have to. That's the only reason I agreed to do this pod was to coax you into the discord. server. <laughs> it's only five sentences. Can I do three sentences? I'm a designers. Don't like to write. As you know, designers, I know who you just are. Draw, so. draw a picture. <laughs> just draw a picture. It's just my face. I'll do that. That's totally fair. <laughs> That's funny. So let's talk a little bit about, I don't know, cause the golf season is kicking up. I mean, at least for you guys in California, you've been playing for a bit. Um, but at least on the East coast is starting to get into gear. What do you guys have on the radar? Big, big plans for the year. Um, you know, in terms of events, growing the club, keeping people connected, you know, changes, keeping things the same. Like what do you, what do you guys have in, in, in the works? I'll go first. Cause I have two, which is a fraction of what Brendan has, but we're really excited. Um, actually next Thursday, the 28th, we're doing um, a used golf equipment drive. Um, at a local little wine bar. And so people will get deals on wine all night um, if they've brought in gear. And we're going to be donating that to Pro Kids, which is a first tee organization um, out of San Diego. So um, doing a little bit of uh, flyering and canvassing to get people engaged, but we're excited to um, give back to the kids here who want to play golf. And then our yeah. other event um, is actually not so much a tournament, but um, Brendan, maybe this will appeal to you, but I've organized an outing of kind of micro influencers in the golf space and not just influencers, but people who are on a smaller scale trying to, you know, make small changes within the golf industry in some way, shape or form. And so we've got about 20 people signed up now to go play strawberry farms in May. Um, and so it's more about who can we put in to your point, Brendan, who can we put in tea times together that will make a connection and something great could blossom, you know, from being put in that tea time. So um, kind of an integrator uh, event rather than a true tournament, um, which we'll be hopefully doing later in the summer. So those are the things we have on deck out here in Southern California. Awesome. That's super cool. What about you, Brendan? That is awesome. I mean, how is there, is there a better game that, you know, you get to know someone with through four and a half hours? And I don't think there is one. That's so awesome. So yeah, as a connector event, that sounds great. We'll we'll be there. Um, we have a really robust calendar, so I'm not going to list them off. Um, you can free to go and look at them on golfjournal.com. But we do have uh, issue 20 is dropping in a few weeks, which is our five year um, anniversary. Uh, so we're we're going to be having a, a party up at um, 
Metalwood Studio up in LA, and it'll be a uh, regripping event. Everyone can bring their clubs and get their clubs clubs regripped. We'll have um, we're trying to do things that are again not just swinging golf clubs, getting people together in social settings. Um, and so that that's kind of like our next push is to do things that don't explicitly involve um, chasing the ball around the field. I like that. Also regripping. I mean, I just finished regripping my clubs and I despise doing it because it takes forever and they're crooked or you take them to the shop. But I, yeah, that would get me to come. It's like, oh, I can bring my bag and just get them regripped. Nice. Yeah, you can just roll up. I think uh, Cole at Metalwood, I'm, I'm sure you, you know him, is just a super creative guy and he's got a really cool space up there um, in LA. So it'll be it'll be a fun one. Uh, we look forward to partnering with him on that. For sure. There's something so special that, you know, I think golf, when we're talking about building community online, but that the platform, the purpose is really to get us to be, you know, on a golf course together in person. And it's one of those activities that, can grow well in both directions and also needs both to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as we all grow our platforms and communities within the space. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause sometimes it's, it's not even about the golf It's just a thing to do where, you know, as someone had told me where, you know, especially for guys and, I, and I'm sure there's some women that can identify with this, but like it, you're right, Brendan, it is very rare. Like I, if my friends ask me or my friends that don't play golf, if they ask me to say, Hey, do you want to like hang out and do something? The list of things that we could do is very short. It's, we could maybe go eat some food. That is an hour, hour and a half max. We could go see a movie, but then when you're doing that, you're not really talking, you're not really connecting. So golf is just one of those things where it is the perfect way to spend a sizable, meaningful amount of time with someone and actually get to, you know, build a relationship so it, it's it's super cool i love it i will fill up my form after this podcast so. <laughs> please do we can't wait for you to come join us the, the interesting thing too about these decentralized communities that i think is worth adding um is just the the sort of diversity of people that take part is so surprising and the diversity of interests is so broad that we found i mean i found i've learned so much from our membership in the past six months uh just with you know i didn't know certain interests even existed and now there's entire channels devoted to it and the the sorts of things that are going on there are really surprising um and there's a lot of power in in kind of that that collective talent and energy um that goes into all that stuff so i'm finding a lot of inspiration there as far as um, how I'm going to spend my time outside of golf. And I think what's interesting about the Broken Tea Society is that there's so many, um, and I don't think this is unique to us. I think it's, it's just the story of golf is that there's so many interesting and talented people that play the game. I mean, it's just a wealth of uh, knowledge and, you know, potential friendship that's out there. And, uh, you know, how else do you get to connect with these people? I mean, golf's the perfect game for that. And, um, if you can refine, like to your point, Andrew, about meeting Jamie, you know, paired up in a different state, if you can refine the mechanisms to connect one another, you're going to hit more than you're going to miss as far as, you know, finding people with shared interests. Um, so that's really exciting to me. I think there's a, there's a whole new kind of um, society is pretty fractured at the moment. So if you can find these kind of uh, ideals or, you know, common ground with people, I mean, it's almost like 
there's the sound made sound of itself, but there's like a healing element to society when you can find these common ground. I mean, there's people across the political divide that, you know, we can play golf with and have a great time with uh, political, religious or anything. You know, it's not a, it's not even an issue once you, um, you're not defined by those things. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's it guys. That was fun. Good conversation. It was great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fair Game Podcast. If you haven't already, you can hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever service you may be using. You can also follow us on Instagram at Fair Game Golf and check out some original videos on our YouTube page. You can find all these links in the episode details below. Hope you guys are getting back on the course out there. We'll see you next time.